0: the metaverse is emerging as the next big technology platform attracting online game makers social networks and plenty of investment and sure there's lots of hype surrounding the metaverse but there's also lots of substance development and exciting trends on this podcast series into the metaverse brought to you by bloomberg intelligence we will break down the biggest developments and bring on the most interesting minds who are building investing in and experiencing the metaverse Hello again, and welcome to Into the Metaverse, episode four. We've got a super exciting episode on tap for you today, where we're going to dig down into one of the key aspects of the metaverse, enabling creators and expanding the creator economy, and discuss just what separates a metaverse platform from just a game. I'm Matthew Canterman. I'm a senior equity research analyst with Bloomberg Intelligence. I'm based in Hong Kong. My co-host is Yonatan Raz Fridman. He's the CEO and co-founder of Super Social, a company making games and experiences for the metaverse, starting with Roblox. And joining us today to break it all down is an awesome and super smart guest. Juice Fandrunen is the former CEO and co-founder of Superdata and now serves as an advisor to digital companies. He's an investor. He's an adjunct professor at the NYU Stern School of Business and is a published author. Welcome, Juice.
1: Thank you. And good morning.
0: And so one of the key questions we want to posit to all of our guests when they come on, you know, it it, it sounds a bit simple at, at a high level, but it's actually... We've been quite interested in hearing the answers from all our various guests and, you know, from ourselves, we, you know, we broke it down in the first episode, but really trying to build a consensus around just what is the metaverse? And so, in your opinion, the companies you work with and speak with, how do you define the metaverse? What is it? And as Yon really likes to ask, more importantly, what isn't the metaverse?
1: Right. That's a good one. All right. Let's 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 start there. Um, so... In my experience, and the role that I generally take in conversations with people and companies, I try to always come up with sort of a uh, broader perspective, or you know, be the person that disagrees just for the sake of disagreement. And so, at Maker's Fund, where I'm an advisor, I, uh, I work with Matthew Ball. Which, you know, if you don't know him, then you haven't heard anything, right? And so, his version of the metaverse is very practical very component-based, my version of the metaverse is, um, is really sort of this idea that we work towards. I could say almost a philosophy, but it's this vision that we share, this collective vision of a technology that lives in the future that isn't here yet. And at the same time, we're all working towards... So it's a bit like um, like the Ten Commandments, right? It's like It's this ideal state that we're working towards, which probably isn't achievable at all just like the 10 commandments really aren't achievable things at the same time, you know, look, it's, it's totally worthwhile pursuing. And so I believe that, uh, that's sort of a cyclical thing that we see throughout, you know, society and the, and, the, and it's relationship with technology. We're always working towards the information superhighway back in the day when broadcast television was popularized, it was also going to be this educational tool so that everybody could get access to teachers everywhere. And so there's always all this, uh, you know, it's pregnant with promise something like the metaverse just like virtual reality is and it never quite delivers and so i'm always the sort of skeptic in the room and like well it's probably not going to deliver on all this so for me the metaverse is an ideal that we pursue but will we ever get there by the time we do it's probably changed its nature its course uh, again but so that doesn't make it any less worthy of pursuing
2: that's a great point you're making, just you know, thinking about it's so profoundly different than some other perspective that we've heard, both on the show here and and in other you know mediums that you know the metaverse is sort of this functional thing, right? and 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 I think it's also quite human nature to try and categorize things, putting things in lists. Here is the metaverse. It's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, right? and and I think what you're saying is, you know, maybe maybe that's, you know, you're not against that argument. But, you know, what if the metaverse is actually a philosophy? It's a, it's an approach to living in a, in the digital worlds. Uh, it's an approach to how we're thinking about the metaverse or more broadly, the Internet as as essentially a focal point of of human interaction and social interaction over technology. Um, you know, I remember I remember reading one time uh, how Steve Jobs described the media and he said media is essentially the distribution of content over technology, right? And so what if the metaverse is the distribution of human behavior over the internet and a whole new scale? I'm just thinking out loud here, but you're opening up a really interesting conversation on, you know, is it a functional thing or is it an approach slash philosophy? And I, I really love that angle.
1: My response is very briefly. It's um, six years ago, I did a talk on virtual reality and I made the comparison with uh, this one scene in uh, Goodwill Will Hunting. Right, uh, it's this, this guy, this very smart person who is uh, in love with this girl. But they go on a date or two, and then he realizes, and he talks to his psychiatrist or his whatever his uh, his friend, and he says, "Well, right now my relationship with this person is perfect because we have none of the encumbrance of actual relationship." things like we don't pay rent together i don't have to clean up our laundry i don't have to go get milk in the morning it's just us being in this vacuum of just delight and happiness so that's the comparison i made with virtual reality at the time saying virtual reality is something that we've seen every decade it comes back and then it becomes nothing and then it comes back again Um, you know and it's always in the future it's always this perfect relationship this perfect technology and i think the metaverse is similar in that of course, we want to be online with other people. Of course, we want to exchange and share this the whole principle of enlightenment, right? In continental philosophy is that, you know, that would set us free, that we would have a rationalized debate and a dialogue and discourse in society. And it turns out, in fact, of course, that giving lots of people information, you know, access to infinite information wasn't really that helpful, right? If you look at the elections in the last few years, like it's just, it's not necessarily the best way to go. And so... You want to live in that space where the technology is this idealized state and then, and then still be rational and sober enough to kind of solve for the day-to-day problems. And I think that that's where the business comes in. say like, okay, how do we actually make the thing? But the metaverse can beat us, you know, this, thing, this this perfect relationship this perfect technology that we that we pursue
2: switching gears from that you've obviously been studying the game the games industry for a while and 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 also in various roles and you know you you wrote a great book one up about it um, and now that you've given sort of the definition of the metaverse in your view maybe maybe you can also help us a bit flesh out how do you differentiate between a metaverse platform or kind of picking up on what you described earlier, a platform that has the elements that you've described in your definition of the metaverse. So how do you the, the distinction, the distinct or differentiate between a platform with those components um, and between just a game or slash a, a, a virtual world? Because you know, obviously there's a lot of metaverse cynics out there who will point out that virtual worlds have existed for years. It's been there for a long time. You know, World of Warcraft, like what's new? Guys, it's been going on. Like gamers have been doing it for the past 50, 20 years so what what is really the big differentiator here in your mind that's a that's a tough one so the
1: the narrative generally that emerges around uh, these phenomena is that they are different from uh, or opposite to uh, things you already know and so the metaverse seems to already be sort of in this terrible place where it has to be this opposition to everything else we've ever known like okay we've basically just been Sitting around in the mud, you know, like a bunch of hooligans. And but here comes the metaverse; it's going to lift us up. And so games naturally will then be described as like, okay, well, you know, that's going to be a technology or an application layer. Let's call it uh, that's going to, you know, allow us to interconnect. And and then the cynics will say, well, we've been doing that. It's like, yeah, but see, this isn't a deviation from that. This is an evolution there, right? And so in the same way that MMOs, when World of Warcraft in 2004 surprised everyone, right, and they just blew the lid right off of uh, their own success, um, that wasn't uh, because it was a great game, or not just because of a great game, but it, there was 20, 30 years of pretext. People had been playing role-playing games for decades, right? It was with pencil and dice, but that, that practice existed and everybody liked that. And so f- for that same reason, I think World of Warcraft wasn't a deviation from Dungeons and Dragons. I don't think that uh, the applications that we're going to see in the metaverse, whether that's some kind of advanced Fortnite or roblox uh type uh application or experience they they don't this is not a full stop and let's go a different direction this is a continuation of a conversation we've been having but so often do we prime ourselves or you know uh, fall into this trap of wanting to see it as separate from and different too and i just don't think it is i mean i think super social is a good example of that as well of course but it's the continuation and evolution of of online and, and technology mediated or tech mediated practices.
0: That That's a really great point. And, you know, just going back to our last episode, we talked with Mark Petit from from Epic Games and, you know, he talked about kind of the same thing where, you know, game makers have decades of experience with real-time 3D software that, that gives them an edge to elevate and, you know, as you know, to your words, you know, expand their experiences into the metaverse. Um, you know, just, you know, your thoughts on some of the the key technologies, you know, like whether it's three D real time software that you think are going to be the real enablers of elevating these experiences.
1: So, so you, you're, so who are going to be the main protagonists? You mean?
0: Well, it can be companies or you know or technologies. You know, you know, I I, I think people have looked at and said, you know, and we we can get into user generated content. I know you you have a big, you know, you've written recently about UGC. You know, UGC being a big part of the metaverse. You know, real time three D software. Um, you know, just the convergence of some of these key technologies.
1: Okay, so that's the that's the mathy ball uh, territory, right? So the so speaking from my own uh, expertise, I would say that it's going to be initially companies like uh, Unity, like Epic with its Unreal Engine, uh, perhaps Manticore. These these companies that are going to give people a layer that allows them to understand the fundamental underpinnings of the technology, right? and so by which I really mean but um, to, to phrase it as a simple question, what's going to be the angry birds of the metaverse, right? When the smartphone came out, no one had had experience swiping on this glass screen, right? We had feature phones, they had some color screens and, you know, these unbreakable Nokias or whatever, but that was a very different mobile experience for the consumer. It was also very different for the, for the supply side because developing for mobile phones at the time was a disaster. Um, but then the iPhone kind of made that, much more easy to do and then at the same time for the consumer base it was like okay well how do i use the device and the the way that you use device you swipe and so angry birds was this really interesting game that would show you exactly how to use it it would showcase the features in its use you see this historically um, you know the same thing with uh, early uh, windows graphic user interface where it comes with Uh, minesweeper and it comes with solitaire because people didn't use a mouse previously because it was all text-based interfaces and it became GUI, and now all of a sudden i need you to learn how to right click and drag and drop things right so you use games you use applications to showcase and teach the average user on how to use it so for the metaverse i think it's going to be some Combination of companies that have both the capacity to create these interactive, immersive, three D environments. It's it's probably going to be three dimensional, whether we like it or not, right? And it's the um, and it's purely for the sake of the fact that um, that's the technology that they're all working on. That's the that's the direction they're all looking at. And I think that that also makes the most sense, right? In some ways, in your own mind, you could follow the steps where the internet was sort of text based, and then it became a little bit more physical and, and and fluid in the form of you know going on to Facebook and going on these applications, going on to TikTok and so on. And there are some depths to it. But really, it's still very two-dimensional. The metaverse has this implied promise of three-dimensional reality. The companies that build those are inevitably going to be things like Epic and Unity. And of course, they will leverage their game applications to really drive that point home. Right? It's the... The success of the Unreal Engine comes from the fact that they had uh, really cool games on it early on, and that also made it accessible and 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 the standard for a lot of developers. Um, so I believe that that's going to be one part of it. But I have a harder time describing just yet like how, for instance, a Roblox will play a role in like this. I know that they will want to do this, right? It's it, they would seem like an obvious protagonist or at least a participant, and they at the same time rely very heavily on user generated content. So. If they can kind of untangle themselves from the technological challenges they've had this week, right? But they were uh, offline for like three days, I believe. And if they can figure out how to do it in such a way that the user base is not necessarily focused only on making things that make money, but they can do things like they had the squid game, right? The phenomenon that attracts lots of people to Robux all of a sudden. And they combine that with the right sort of, I don't know. Metaversial, or sort of the the angle uh, into the metaverse that makes sense, then they can be a very powerful protagonist and proponent of that technology. So, so that's the realm of companies I would look for to build the application layer. But you know, that's really only a handful, right? It's the um, there there needs to be more than just that.
2: I think this is a great point, Juice. and you know, I think the challenge is, <clears throat> and this is what I th- I believe a lot of people, a lot of companies, a lot of investors, a lot of entrepreneurs underestimate. Is, and again, we touched upon that with Mark Petit last week, and 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 I think we're gonna continue and touch upon it. Building, enabling the creation of these metaverse experiences requires a, a, an incredible, incredibly deep, sophisticated, comprehensive, reliable um, technical infrastructure. Right? People like, to, uh, people like to talk about the metaverse as something that started when you know when Mark Zuckerberg you know, said, you know, we're now called Meta. Uh, which I think, you know, a lot of people probably do think. But companies like Epic have been building the Unreal Engine for the past 20, 25 years. You know, Roblox is fifteen, fifteen years old company. None of these folks started yesterday. And so I think building, you know, I think it's it these are phenomenal infrastructures that really enable creating that application layer. And and a lot of them are and most of them, all of them at the moment, they're basically game engines. And they've expanded and created these phenomenal I- environments. You know, if you look at a company like Roblox, they're they're a game engine, but also they're a publishing and distribution platform of content on their platform. They're also a social network where there is you know, billions of interactions every day of messages between users. They're also a cloud services provider. They have their own data centers, which, you know, of course, there is, as you said, there was the hiccup last week. Epic is building their infrastructure in a very certain way. They've already disclosed publicly that. They're looking at connecting the Unreal Engine <clears throat> as an API to the Fortnite creative mode. So. I think the one thing that I would recommend based on, you know, kind of picking up on what you're saying, the one thing I would recommend to investors, to, you know, builders um, and also, you know, public equity investors as they think about the metaverse landscape, not to underestimate what it actually takes to build those massive technical layers. And and when you look at companies like Roblox Epic, but also uh, NVIDIA uh, and, you know, I, I wouldn't rule out and, you know, that might be completely wacky saying it at the moment, but I wouldn't rule out that NVIDIA. Who are building an Omniverse for engineers, which is basically what they call the Metaverse for engineers. Um, I wouldn't rule out that at some point they have Omniverse and then they also have the Force and maybe NVIDIA is going to start competing for, you know, attracting game developers and Metaverse experience creators to build on their platform. So, I, I think there is a lot of things that are probably at the moment unclear how they're going to play out. There is obviously the the clear candidates of metaverse builders like Roblox, Epic, um, you know. And then, of course, we have the whole different hemisphere, which is China, which I think at some point we're hopefully going to touch upon in this episode. But I do agree with what you're saying. And I think that's part of what we wanted to talk about maybe in the next point is... Ultimately it's about the creators, the builders who are going to build on those platforms and create the applications that you know a billion people, two billion people, half of humanity ultimately would want to find itself on, you know, five to ten years from now, because that's that's kind of where you know where we're heading.
1: It's really a, a large problem to solve, right? Which is why you immediately have to break it down to smaller components. And so when you list all of those examples where my mind goes is like okay but so so what what isn't in this list right and and it's in many ways like so certainly yes there's the user layer and then there's the application layer and it's we're going to build all this great stuff for people to like hang out and find boyfriends and girlfriends and get married and like have meaningful experiences in these immersive three-dimensional uh, environments cool but there's also this sort of other side of it right and the example is a little bit like this when league of legends uh, started to really pick up speed it's was unable to really rely on third-party backbone infrastructure, which is just like the the game would have... The latency would ruin the experience, right? And their philosophy was, we want to have the largest possible audience, so we're going to make the game as easy to play as possible. Uh, You don't need a fancy computer to do it. And um, we're going to also invest in our own backend. And so they did. They built their own backbone uh, to reduce the latency from like... Uh, a ping of 30 to like seven, right? Uh, and they would invest in these server farms. They realized that their Brazilian audience was growing. And so they could no longer rely just on servers in Florida. So they had to go into Brazil and set up a server farm there. They, they realized that even though that they were only an application layer and only software makers and, and game makers of that, they still had to kind of pay dues to the, to the physical infrastructure of things. You can't really rely on it, right? And it's perhaps Roblox, not to, to harp on it too much, but... You know, you wonder what happened those three days that it went on. Was that AWS or their own infrastructure, right? So, so that's a real problem, but that's not what we want to talk about. We want to talk about the the cool pictures with Ariana Grande, right? So my mind goes towards like, what's, what's like, what's in the, in the basement of all of this? And infrastructure and hardware is one. Another one would be payment, right? Okay, cool. But like things become meaningful, then people want to attribute both emotional value as well as monetary value to things. So is that gonna be cryptocurrency? Oh God, you know, that's a whole nother can of worms to open up in that context. So are we gonna have some metaverse coin, meta coin? Is that or like, we're just called the Zuckerberg currency or whatever, but it's, it's going to be something that we've seen before when Facebook really picked up steam and became this go-to social network once it sort of uh, grew outside of its college network of social networking or its reliance on universities really very quickly, the applications all started to issue their own currencies and coins and credits, which was a huge disaster, right? And of course, Zynga was sort of the center piece of it all, but there was all these different little games out there that had their own little in-game currencies. And then Facebook said, no, no more. We're going to do Facebook credits, which decimated a lot of small fry businesses. Uh, It said, we're going to charge 30%, but we're going to use, everybody's expected to use one currency. So Who's going to do that for the metaverse? Is that going to happen? Is there going to be one central authority, which is sort of the contrary to the whole Web3 proposition, right? It's decentralized and trustless. So who's then going to impose a singular currency? And then are we going to have separate currencies in the metaverse? So you see that immediately, like these are not sexy problems to solve, but those are necessary and we've seen them before,
2: right? They will emerge. A story repeats itself, Juice. And I mean, let's let's take the examples of very, very different industries. I mean, let's go 200 years back. The oil barons in the United—they were like everyone started an oil company. Everyone was trying to get oil out of the ground. A railway. I mean, this is this is human nature. We see a we see a, a completely new frontier a land and there is, and and there's going to be a land grab. People are going to fight. Companies are going to fight. Companies are going to want to build, you know, the metaverse companies are going to want to be the metaverse. One of them actually changed their name to meta for the love of God, just call yourself metaverse. Why just stop in the middle halfway (laughs) through. Uh, And so I, I, I think we are heading toward, and look, this is obviously one thing that is really exciting. And obviously one thing that is really challenging, there's going to be a pursuit of land grab, and and you just mentioned kind of the killer code name, Web3, like, yes, this is only going to make things even more interesting and and, and intriguing and and even more decentralized. You know, no pun intended, actually, decentralized from a sense of there's going to be hundreds and thousands of companies that will say we are building the metaverse. Um, I mean, when I raised the seed round for Super Social, I literally had the slide that defines what is a metaverse in our mind. Now you're kind of, you know, you still need that slide, but actually you don't because there's so many descriptions. And so I want to I want to switch gears back to the creator's you know, you wrote a great piece of how basically creators are, UGC and creators are, are eating gaming or coming into gaming. And and it's not a new phenomenon, right? Mods have been around for, you know, the past 10, 15, 20 years. I mean, mods have been around since Zoom and, and ID Software opening their, their game for, you know, people to co-create the game. So it's been around forever. But thinking about that creator generation, that creator economy, that new wave of people who are basically, you know, sitting in their bedrooms or their living room and building new experiences, it started on YouTube, TikTok, and now it's moving into gaming in spades. How do you think about what the role that the creator generation or the creator economy can play in the metaverse and what can the metaverse or a metaverse can enable that, you know, incredible new wave of of global, young, creative, hungry creator generation?
1: So that's, that's one of my favorite ones. So the Antecedent for me is um, my dissertation. I wrote my PhD dissertation on user generated content back in like 2006, and it was, you know, and it was really the not to get too academic, but the principle of it was as follows like at the time, you would have game design professors, and they would be computer science people, and they would say, you know, we're great at building things, but what's missing is the sort of human element, and so they would advocate that computer science departments would make people read sort of the great works of literature and have a better understanding of the human condition as these great builders would build their great things. And like, all right, that seems the wrong way around, right? I mean, technology kind of affords it that we can all like a, like a 60 year old boy with a, with a, with a guitar, like we can all kind of strum and learn a few chords. Why can't we all make music? Right? So the, the crux of my own dissertation, my own thinking at the time was, well, what if we look at what people build that you know when those people are not professional game designers and so that's a whole thing and I'm welcome you're welcome to uh, I'm, I'm happy to tell you more about it but the, the idea would be that instead of having these like professional creators like what is it with amateur creators with the people that just live here building stuff right and and then i think uh, it becomes much more obvious to me that user-generated content is not so much an entertainment layer where we engage and acquire young audiences and make some cool stuff and then maybe we'll give them some money back from the stuff that they sell. Sure, that too. But I think the much larger opportunity is like, well, see, they should be the ones building this, not Epic, not Facebook or Meta, whatever. It's not these giant corporations with their, you know, billion-dollar investors. Not because they're necessarily evil, some more than others, but uh, because, like, if the Metaverse is truly carried out in its full vision, then it's going to be co-owned and co-created not oh you know what I, I i log into this metaverse i i immerse myself by way of virtual reality helmet or keyboard or whatever into this other technological layer that sits on top of real life it's really about uh, you know this is my little part in that you know nebulous amorphous universe and so to do that people need to be able to navigate that space and to do that they need to have the tools to do that they need to learn how to read and write so it's for me more of an of a, a sense of literacy than it is, you know, the consumerism, right? And so, so whoever's figuring that out, and I think Roblox does a really good job because they attract a young audience. And I see this in my own eight-year-old, he gets it. He inst- instinctively gets what's expected of him, how to do it, how to how to combine things, how to take them apart and put them back together again in the same way that, uh, you know, you see a kid play with, with Legos or anything else. And so for that reason, I think it's, it's a really interesting question with regard to user-generated content. Who's going to just hand out the tools? Who's going to set the standards? What are they going to be the protocols that we all learn to use, right? Are we all going to be using you know, feather pens or is it going to be ballpoint pens? Like, like what's, what's going to be the technology that's universally accessible and available to most of us that allows all of us to contribute to varying degrees in a meaningful way to, to you know, constituting the metaverse as we imagine it today?
2: And, and one thing I want to highlight, and before Matthew takes it to, to switch gears to another topic, but one thing I want to highlight once you said, because you mentioned Roblox, I love when Dave Bazzucchi, the CEO of Roblox, says, Roblox is not building the metaverse. The developers on Roblox are building the metaverse. And I think that, it's a, that is a very unique and also genuine POV and a statement coming from a company that basically taught a whole generation code build games and do it on their platforms and and i believe that's a big part of your future if it's roblox or, or others empowering a new class of creators democratizing the ability to create for the metaverse i think that's going to be a big part of the future and i think the creator generation and a creator economy is really well aligned with with that approach
1: mm-hmm. I'll, I'll 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 add one thing to that which and i'll and i'll conjure up my uh, my old mother which is um you know, back in the 60s, whatever, she got a an office job. To get an office job as a secretary, you needed to get a typing diploma. You needed to go take a class and then go show that you could type whatever, 60 words a minute or 60. I don't even know. By the time I got to college when I was 18, nobody cared if I could type or not. It's like you're supposed to hand this in, in you know, Times New Roman, double spaced, font size 12, or it's an automatic fail. They're like, oh, geez. like How am I? So I had... Uh, you know I was curious about computers, so I had sort of familiarized myself with a lot of my uh, classmates at the time, not yet, so the idea that you would transition from like a typing diploma as a requirement for for employment all the way to like, yeah, of course you know how to use a keyboard. I think that same thing will apply to like the metaverse like of course you're gonna to know how to use it, but so right now we're still dealing with like you know professional creators and we're dealing with like these like you know coding for certain groups of people it's like. Coding is going to be a second language to everybody, just like French would be, right? It's just like you pick it up and then you know how to kind of navigate France, or Paris. When you go there, the same thing's going to happen with the metaverse. You just know how to navigate it better.
0: I, I totally agree. And, and, you know, just in terms of everything you guys have been saying about enabling creators and enabling a younger generation of creators, you know, Facebook meta, whatever you want to call it, you know, they're trying to monopolize the narrative around the metaverse and, that's one of the biggest risks for that company is the fact that younger people don't use Facebook. They don't even use Instagram as much anymore. They're on Roblox and that's where they communicate, you know, but, bef- you know, and, and, you know, when I talk to investors, that's something that come that I bring up a lot and it's a reason why I'm still kind of skeptical of their strategy, you know, in terms of your thoughts, when you, you know, as an investor in, in the gaming space, as an advisor to investors in the gaming space, you know, how do you, how does this fact, how does these things we've talked about the metaverse use generate content enabling creators how does that factor into your investment strategy what types of things do you look for you know maybe now versus a couple maybe three four years ago um in terms of where you're trying to allocate your money obviously this is a bloomberg intelligence podcast we do have you know we do have investors listening so everyone's trying to figure out you know where should they be putting their money
1: Mm -hmm. so the uh, the thesis that i usually work with as just a very simple way is um is that it's all about... So the the games industry is about having fun. It's about entertainment, engagement, and so on. So the reason I became uh, part of Makers Fund was really because they've always had a very distinct agenda when it comes to focusing on content creators. So you you can build all kinds of stuff and applications around it. And and naturally, of course, that's part of the portfolio. But really having an emphasis on making cool things for people to enjoy uh, making interesting content, innovative content, that seems um, like the most obvious, but also the most elusive thing to do well. And so, I guess that's the that's the that's the the nice, warm, cuddly way of putting it. The other one is, of course, like you know, if you have a portfolio of of titles and one or two of them pops, like uh, the numbers get very big very quickly, right? It's also an incredibly much more so the multiple on technology versus entertainment. It's it's a huge difference. So that's another one, but the Focus I would always have, and I think what really brings everyone into a new device uh, generation, it brings everybody into a new protocol, is something that was, I guess, hardwired in me because I've always been studying the games industry so closely. It's the software that sells the hardware, right? It's the applications that sell the technology. And so uh, every Nintendo device comes out with a Mario and a Zelda game. And it's not because of any other reason that that's what people expect. And that's what drives their success, right? And then, you, of course, you build franchises on top of that, and, and and so on and so forth. But in terms of investments, is like you always look like what are what's going to be the one thing that we can't live. Like I said, what's the Angry Birds of the metaverse? Like who's like who's in a position to build that? And so then you look at the teams and you look at you know their background and history. And so Brovio, the makers of Angry Birds, those people didn't just show up and that wasn't their first day project. They had built fifty games prior, right? They were actually almost dead. This was their last hurrah to become successful in mobile. And they'd been suffering for years. Supercell, another one of these big mobile successes, those are all from digital chocolate. They had worked somewhere before. Some of them had sold businesses before. So these weren't newbie junior people. And while that narrative of like, these brilliant geniuses, these insular uh, creatives are you know very, very elusive and, and of course, very intoxicating. Like, oh, I found this one person and she's great and she's going to build this amazing thing it's usually these experienced talents team that have something that you could point to as an but they've been doing this for a while. So you look for talent, you look for, uh, you know, the ability to get uh, something done. And from the academic material that I generally work with, like, you know, you, they've done these cases where if you have a heterogeneous group of individuals, like people that have different backgrounds and disciplines, but figure out in their own ex- uh, seniority, how to work together well and get things done. That's a very, very potent combination uh, that will increase the margins and uh, and your chances of success. So that's where I usually go with that. Like if you could tell a story as a experienced professional designer, what would you tell, right? And then in a for profit setting and in an investment type setting, and that tends to go much further than let's throw some stuff on the wall. which what I always feel like um, let's um, let's talk trash about Stadia for a little bit, right? So when Stadia came out, I don't think that they were disingenuous. I think they really felt like they were doing some cool. But I compared it with opening a new restaurant and sort of advertising the fact that you have the best tables and chairs in town, when there's no information about the menu, you don't have a chef, there's, you have no idea what it's going to, but we have the best tables and chairs. It's like, that's not how you sell a restaurant, right? So, so as an investor, I look for chefs and menus, not for tables and chairs.
0: That's a great analogy. And and I think that's a great point, you know, and alluding to Stadia, alluding to VR, you know, in the many instances in the past, right? You know, in many cases, these were product led, technology led developments that are cool. But, you know, and I think Owen Mahoney, the CEO of Nexon put out a, a, a blog post today, basically saying the same thing that at the end of the day, these experiences have to be fun, which is exactly what you're saying, right? You know, we can't, we can't just build technology for the sake of it. It needs to be fun. People want to have to want to engage with it.
2: And 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 also, I mean, maybe it's a bit of a deviation from the topic, but I, I just have to say how uninspiring this whole cloud gaming thing has been. Because what <laughs> what 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 actually happened, right? You had Netflix basically taking everyone to school, building a streaming service for TV. And then everyone were like, "Oh my God! Wow! Like we we can build that for gaming. So you know, Netflix for X. So let's build cloud gaming, right? And then, but games are not TV shows; they're not just linear media streamed over the internet. They're way more complex uh, creations that require a whole different way of thinking about technical infrastructure. So basically, it started, and they started working on it, and it took them it took them it took them ages, like years and years, <clears throat> of building that infrastructure. And then, guess what? On the way, quote unquote emergence uh, started to happen with the metaverse. And and so instead of thinking about the future, they thought about the present and trying to duplicate to the near future instead of really trying to reimagine what the world is moving to, what technology can really enable us to do in five to 10 years' time instead of chasing a Netflix for X. And and, and also what happened at the end? Netflix introduced games. <laughs> and so I thought that's kind of entertaining and and kind of disappointing in my mind of how big companies are, are operating, which again, why is so... However, you want to be cynic about what, you know, Facebook has done and the change. You cannot not appreciate the boldness, the speed at which, you know, Facebook is moving, in which Mark Zuckerberg is moving. And, you know, they may or may not be the, the biggest player in the metaverse. They may or may not be able to attract young people to come and build experiences, you know, inside Horizon. But at least they're trying to to trying to do that. But 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 the analogy here is that just like it happened with Netflix, and with you know games on the cloud, I think this is what's happening now. You're starting to see a lot of big companies suddenly, oh yeah, we're actually building, let's build the metaverse. And I'm like, OK, so what 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 is going to be the big shift five to 10 years from now if the metaverse is already starting? Um, and so, you know, as builders, as creators, I think folks should think about uh, what are the platforms that are really going to continue and be dominant in the future? Because, again, taking from inspiration from streaming TV, Netflix, if I'm not mistaken, and Matthew, you got I'm sure you got the, the more accurate numbers. I think Netflix is like 40 to 50 percent of the streaming TV market. Right. And so. If you think about Metaverse and you think about Metaverse as a next frontier, um, as a creator and as a builder, you really want to think about where are you putting your chips? Where are you going to build? Where do you believe the audience will continue to come from? And I think Netflix in streaming TV provides a, a quite a humbling benchmark.
1: Agreed. It's, um, you know, I agree. I think big tech uh, woke up the games first and, and secondly, it woke up to the fact that it's terrible at it. Right. And so Netflix is much closer to the to the entertainment layer of all things. I think Google is far removed from it because that's not what they do. Uh, Apple too, like they did Apple Arcade. And it's cool, this sort of art house inventory, right, for 10 bucks a month or whatever it costs, five bucks. And it's, um, you know, it's a it, it all is sort of consistent with it's like it's really cool aesthetic and it's visual style. But I don't see people standing in line for any of that. But I used to have an office down the street from the Nintendo store in, uh, in Midtown in in Manhattan. And every, every other week there'd be like a string of people waiting for some new content drop from Nintendo. It's like, how do they do it? So, because they focus on the fun, they don't, this is not a tech company that fancies itself sort of a master of the universe and taking its, in the case of Netflix, like $18 billion content budget to kind of buy its way into games, right? Because it worries them because it's competing. Over eyeballs with them or whatever. It's uh, you know, these companies are built from the ground up to 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 create these experiences for people.
2: I, ju- I just want to po- call out that Juice described Apple Arcade as an art e- inventory. I thought that's that's worth mentioning. It's uh, is that is that does that offend you? It's a lot
0: nicer <laughs> than how I described it when it came out. So I'll say that. You know, it's so it's so highbrow.
2: Can, it's too. High. I can subscribe to that. I thought it's actually a cool description.
1: You know, it's just art house. Like it's just like oh, like you know. You could see that somewhere along the line, they put together a team of people from the industry and they all have, you know, some really, you know, of course, like Apple is a bit of a, um, they they seem very friendly, but they they seem like they have their own sort of corporate cult, um, which, you know, there's a certain pride or perhaps arrogance in that. And that's good for them, whatever. It's Apple. They make a trillion dollars. Good for them. But You know, from that, you get this, it always has to be the most unique, the best. It's like, just give me something that's fun, man. Like what what happened to like blue collar, like, you know, things that are enjoyable. Whereas like this art house inventory is clearly put together by people that all have, you know, higher education degrees and they're all very smart and they sit around using big words all day. And that's what compiles this inventory, which is nothing to say about the creators of those games. It's just the, the curation is very typical of a company like Apple.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think that's a key point. I mean, you know, when I when it, when they first announced it, I was, you know, I, I kind of thought all these games already exist. You can buy them if you want them. But now you're going to give me a subscription with games that I didn't want to buy in the first place. And and it goes back to your original point, which I think is, you know, kind of the overarching theme of our discussion. And it's, 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 it's really important to remember, you know, this is entertainment. It's interactive. It's technology driven, but it's still entertainment. And it's all about, as you've said, having fun. And I think that's, you know, a key thing that investors need to remember. And this is something that, you know, when I've covered games, I've talked about this. You know, you can't just say this is the new SaaS because they have live services. You can't just think that things go up because it's a subscription. No, this is entertainment. They have to be fun games. And we've seen what happens when that thesis gets the rug pulled out from it. It gets ugly and painful very fast. And this is why you need to be cognizant, not just of, you know, who's building what technology it's it's important and interesting but you know if you haven't played roblox and you're trying to invest in the space you better go play roblox and figure it out
1: no totally that's that's how we make sense of things by 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 using them right that's how children do it that's how grown-ups do it too and so unless you give me something that i can use and that stands as a proxy for the larger thing then it doesn't make sense to me and i won't use it i won't enter into it it's the the, 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 as you were saying like the one thing that that pops in my head was um entertainment used to be and continues still because it's a slow moving business to be uh, you know it used to be very much dominated by like, media moguls right and there's a uh, Jonathan Crary he's a senior fellow at the at the Evercore and so he wrote a book about it and it's the it's sort of the curse of the media mogul and the whole principle is that a lot of entertainment companies have very poor returns because you know you're not supposed to touch the magic of entertainment right and then the mogul is sort of this this intermediary where, like, you have a management layer that prides itself on being able to speak to creative talent, but also to investors and, and make that work. If you look at it on a, on a on a numbers basis, that's actually not entirely true at all. Um, but intuition has always been this sort of guideline, saying, "Oh, we know what's going to be the next hit album, you know, the next hit song, the next hit movie, the next blockbuster." Um, that's used to be the way that uh, media and entertainment businesses were run and, and governed that has changed in the context of big tech firms to something that's very spreadsheet driven right so that's i think one of amazon's inabilities to do well in games sure they had uh, new world but that's more of an exception to, that proves the rule than, uh, than anything else to me uh do it again let's, let's do it six more times you're amazon you should be doing this all day long right uh, so my fear there is that they rely way too much on internal bureaucracy and administrative processes to kind of squeeze the life right out of it. And so you kind of oscillate between too much intuition from these moguls back in the day to too much, you know, numbers driven, uh, you know, discipline. It's like there, there is that sort of thin layer in between. And that's that's what we're all chasing in this. Right. It's it's neither, obviously, but you're trying to be right in the middle of it.
2: I just want to add maybe before we wrap up this this wonderful episode with, with, with Matthew concluding, I just want to say that, you know, a, a few years ago, I read, this, um, I read this quote from a learning scientist called Alison Gopnik. And she said in a book I read, children are the R&D department of the human species. And so if you subscribe to that worldview, I, I echo what Matthew suggested to folks who are listening to this podcast. You want to figure out and have a POV on what the future holds, what the metaverse might look like. Go play Roblox. Look at how a 10, 12-year-olds interact, communicate, and socialize inside virtual worlds, accidentally playing games while doing so, and get a sense of what the metaverse could look like for that generation, because they are the future. And these behaviors, the way they've been interacting for the past couple of years in game world and virtual worlds is is being decoded in their brain. This is not accidental behavior. This is, this is going to be part of the future. And this is the generation that is going to build the future. And this is how they're living at the moment. You want to get a sense about the metaverse, look at how 10 to 12 year olds are playing and building together on Roblox. That's going to be a big piece of it, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So, so as a, as a, as a recently, so I now have a three month old baby. So I recently became a dad again and it's um, so, and I have an eight year old, so I reset the clock on that whole cycle uh, for better or worse. Um, but it's totally true that you see like now for the second time, I see like this little brain sort of unfurl. You're welcome at any time you're in New York to come to my class at NYU. I have 60 students and they're all sort of undergrad level. For me, that's been my R&D department for years, right? I go in there and say, okay, by show of hands, who here follows FaZe Clan? What do you think if it's IPO? Who here has heard of the metaverse? Who here is on Facebook? And it's remarkable that I would always see trends that we're talking about today show up like 18 months or 24 months earlier in my classroom, right? It was blockchain gaming. I had my first paper written by a student on it like two years ago. And so it's it's very interesting to see how, while we sit around and we have all these resources, right, it's in fact like these broke children that have a much better sense and a much greater impact on what's cool, and whether that's user acquisition, right? They can make things go viral and like make it in demand, all the way to imagining and developing the next generation of entertainment and tools that goes with it.
0: They're both broke, but they're also pretty woke when it comes to technology. I'm sorry, that was a horrible pun. Uh, <laughs> that's
1: that I like it <laughs> and, uh,
0: so you know with that you know I think we'll wrap up that, that was that was super juiced because that's his that's his substack super juiced on substack you can find him there you can read his book which is a really good read on the games industry you know for investors and, and just understanding the games industry from a high level um, you know this was an awesome discussion talking about the creator economy having fun and just not losing sight of the fact that the metaverse is just about that having fun